labeling her as things like like a slut and, and how she had this kind of ferocious sexual appetite and, and then again she would never concede she never backed down she never said I am not this I'm not about she was like yeah I have sex why, why shouldn't I my husband has multiple affairs mm. you're making an example of me you want me destroyed so mm. yeah it's really shocking actually reading back all that all that stuff when I was when I first got involved with the project Welcome to the Bailiwick Express podcast with me, Fiona Potney. Wealth, infidelity and cut-glass savagery. It's no wonder that the story of the divorce of the Duke and Duchess of Argyll captured the imagination of the public in the 1960s. Neither was a saint. On the one hand, Captain Ian Campbell was a serial abuser who married a series of wealthy women only to nab their money to do up his country castle, a palace in which he left Margaret Campbell isolated. She, on the other hand, was the original It's Girl, a socialite whose every movement attracted much attention, and even more so when her own infidelity came to light, revealed in a photo of her engaging in sexual activities with another man whose face was not visible. But the behaviour of both was scrutinised in very different ways, and Margaret ended up isolated, her only friend being Mr Peter Coombe, a press officer for the Savoy. That discrepancy is highlighted in binge-worthy new BBC series A Very British Scandal, with Jersey actor Timothy Renneth playing confidant Peter opposite Claire Foy as Margaret and Paul Bettany as Captain Ian Campbell. Timothy grew up in Jersey, going on to study drama at Exeter University. From there, he has appeared on stage and on screen in a variety of works, ranging from adverts for big names to a production for Netflix. We spoke to him about his latest scandalous endeavour, but started by delving into what got him into performance. I'm a middle child, um, and I think a lot of actors that I speak to are either, either, you know, either middle children or are are, um, only children. And a lot of it is, I guess wanting to be seen hmm. I think as, as a middle child from what I know and I've got another friend who's a, who's a actor who's also a middle child um, it's yeah it's about like you trying to forge who you are within that dynamic of the youngest who's the baby and that you were the baby once and suddenly you're not you're like oh okay but then there's the oldest who's you know got the responsibility and kind of knows what they're doing and can boss you around and you're like so what do I do and I think that's where a lot of that comes from. And I think as a lot of comedians, I think, are also, yeah, are, are middle children or often big families. It's about you. I start. I started wanting to entertain, or, or yeah, I dressed up a lot, like loads of. I was like either a clown or a pirate, or I was obsessed with um, magic, and I was either was like a witch, or at wow. one time, I think my mum said I was she took me to the airport to drop my granddad off and I was um, dressed as a witch <laughs> was it even Halloween or was this uh... no, no. no, no, no. I, was, I was just it, that was my thing and my granddad was um, yeah going to the security and there was a man who was being interviewed in the airport being filmed talking about the occult in Jersey <laughs> and about like, the history of the occult and then my mom, my granddad was just laughing because I was like tottering in the background it's like five year old just the witch um but yeah, I used to just dress up a lot. And then, um, yeah, at primary school, I went to St. George's. And it was then, they were like, that was an amazing time for me. Because it was, it was a really small, I mean, still it's quite a small school, I guess. But it was very small then, like the classes of like 10 people. Mm-hmm. And so you could really, um, you had the space to be who you wanted to be. And 
you know, it wasn't like you, you were a big fish in a small pond, essentially. So you could, if you wanted to do art and follow that thing, you could do it. And they really encourage you to do that. And the same with, you know, drama. And, and I, I had a, I had a love for both art and drama, but it was when we did the school plays that I was like, ah, oh, like I loved it. Mm. Like I felt like a buzz from it, you know? Are there any in we particular did, um, that you remember really well, any plays that you're involved in that stick out to you? Yeah, we did the Pied Piper of... Hamlin, I think that's what it was called, and it was, and I was like the rats. <laughs> there was like there was, a, there was King Rat, who I really wanted to be, but at the but time, of course, was, King. Um, <laughs> yeah, King Rat. He was the best one, I think, because I wanted a crown, and um, he was the best one. And that was played by Ricky Deluge, um, and he was head boy. So I was kind of like, okay, fair enough. He, he gets to be King Rat this time. But when it's my year, when I'm in year six, um, and then after that, we did a, a play called Trolls. And I was um, I was the kind of the villain, and it was amazing. And I was like, and it was like it was a really kind of niche musical about this village of trolls. It was kind of perfect being played by children, and uh, we all like made everything look really big to make us look smaller. So like all the food was huge, and we made it was like it was quite a cool time actually because we made all the props in the art class. So you felt really a part of the whole production. I remember that was like for me looking back on that. Yeah, I've got a lot of fun memories from St George's. And yeah, being the villain, I think, I can't remember what it was, I was called like Snick the Goblin, I think. And I came out of a star, like a giant star landed on the stage. And then I, it was like, like MDF and then tinfoil. And then I just came out of it singing a song and I was like, I was so into it. Was that your big moment so, where yeah. you're like, yes, this is for me. I am yeah, a star. I, <laughs> I was like, this is it. I was like, I want to be this. And, I, and I've also always had a thing for the villains I guess I really enjoyed playing them and I really would like to play yeah or people that do I guess seemingly quite bad things why are you drawn to them yeah why you do them and then and I don't know why I'm drawn to them I just feel like I mean this might be quite dark but I would really love to play a serial killer um and I almost got this big this role for this um ITV this ITV drama I was playing a serial killer and I was just obsessed with it. I just thought, it's just so interesting because, you know, and I'm fascinated by that true crime stuff that you see on Netflix. You know, all the, um, all the, uh, you know, you see, what is it, the, the, the Making the Murderer, um, Jinx, the, the, the Life and Death of Robert Durst, um, all that stuff where you get an insight, stairs, it's called the stairway, stairwell, um, where you get an insight into someone and the cameras are literally there filming this person who is, you know, potentially... Um, a, a murderer but you don't know at that point and it's just that like, I'd love to get into the head and see why they do the things they do and then also yeah just what makes someone do that mm. I find fascinating so yeah I've always been into the, the villain um, and I think that, that kind of started me off on that on that route well on the note of uh, villains if we talk about your latest venture I mean what's your view Margaret Campbell is she a hero well heroine rather or villain <laughs> Legend, I think she's a legend. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not, you know, condoning um, domestic abuse in, in any in any sense from you know male or female or whatever the capacity. But she, um, aside from that, and aside from the violence that they both, um, you know, did to each other, she was a legend. She was a trailblazer. She was a woman who, you know, had a real. Obviously, apart from the fact that she was very privileged and came from a very privileged background, she was. Um, she also had terrible things happen to her. You know, she had a, she was 
had a teenage pregnancy, I think at 13, mm. um, which she was then uh, to abort, um, which is obviously quite a harrowing thing for anyone to go, to go through, let alone someone who's underage and, and, of that, and of that time. So then her mother kind of dismissed her at that point, thinking that she was, you know, damaged goods. And then she became this kind of debutante, um, married this, yeah, married this amazing, famous golfer, uh, Charles Sweeney, at this crazy wedding that was basically like a royal wedding at the time. You can see it all on YouTube, this amazing um, see it go down. I think they closed off those roads, stopped traffic, and she was wearing this amazing kind of 1920s dress. And she was like the Paris Hilton of her time, in which... Sounds quite bad in reference to Paris Hilton, but she was an it girl, you know, mm. before it girls were it girls. And then she fell down a lift shaft, 40 feet, and survived that, you know, and then still came back, still, you know, and then wanted to have, still wanted to have children, still survived, and just wanted to make something of herself where I guess she was told she was either not fit enough or you know, she could never have children again because she, because she was, you know, unwell because of this accident or she didn't deserve to because she, you know, was deemed um, damaged goods because she had a, 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 an early pregnancy and all this stuff. And then she did have children. And then she met this man and, you know, thought that she was in love and they had this kind of whirlwind romance. And then he used her and took all her money and, yeah, abused her trust and, and physically abused her. And yet she still survived that. And she, all of her friends abandoned her at that time when all that when it when it was revealed about the man in the photograph and the divorce was kind of in full full flow. She um yeah, she was left with high and dry and then apart from my my character, luckily she met later on in, in her in her time, luckily for her, because they were real comrades and um he I guess was her only life lifeboat in that moment. Mm-hmm. And you would have thought that the, the women at the time, all her female friends in the society, who could have, you know, empathised and, and, and related to what she was going through to some extent, whether that's in love or losing children or wanting children or, you know, I don't know, financial ruin, they would have just stuck by her because obviously in a patriarchal society, everyone was against them. Mm. But they left her and um, yet she survived, you know. And then she was put through this horrible ordeal in the court where... She was basically victimised and and abused in court, whereby what they what happened at that time would never happen now. I would, I wouldn't have thought whereby the judge was a, a distant relation to to the prosecution. It's wild, which is so, wild, which is wild. So he was completely biased, and then also you know was a, was a bigot, was so sexist, and 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 just was. A, labelling her things like like a slut and, and how she had this kind of ferocious sexual appetite. And, and then again, she would never concede. She never backed down. She never said, I am not this, I'm not that. She was like, yeah, I have sex. Why, why shouldn't I? My husband has multiple affairs. Mm. You know, why, why shouldn't I? There's, that's not what's, what's going on here. But what you're, you're, you're making an example of me because you're siding with him and you want to... You want you want me, yeah, destroyed. So mm-hmm. it was, um, yeah, it's really shocking actually reading back all that all that stuff when I was when I first got involved with the project and reading all the transcripts from the court. Really, like, really sad because she was on her own. She was the only woman in that court, apart from I guess some of the, you know, general public who were there to, to witness it. She was the only woman against all these men, the lawyers, the judges, you know, the prosecution. So. 
What was, was it like when yeah, you were doing that sort of research and, and reading through those transcripts? Because I'm sure, obviously, it gave you a lot of kind of inspiration as to how you were going to take forward your character as well, you know, to be Peter, the, the kind of strength um, for her when everyone else had turned their backs. Yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, it's fascinating, for one. Again, it's like, that's why I really love doing this job and why I love, I guess, interesting characters like that and like her, is that you can deep dive into like forensics it's like it's like being a detective you know and you can really um just i don't know there's endless information thank you internet and and you know obviously like libraries and and all sources there's so much there's the wealth of information at your fingertips that you can just be like right i'm just going to get into this and and really um and and also we're not too far away from the era so we had some links Mm. you know like like i we could speak to peter's family he had children in the end and uh and he, he married and had two kids so we could speak to them and get some insight from them and and also strangely um obviously it's post what happened but my old english teacher from Victor college um he got in touch with me and uh said oh i am i'm actually a distant relation of uh the duke of argyle so not wow. through marriage, but through the duke. <laughs> and i know uh, a woman who was best friends with peter and so I'm going to have a chat with her, I think, if she's um, well enough to chat to me because she's a bit older. Mm-hmm. And we're going to Zoom and just she's going to tell me, yeah, everything about him. That's incredible. Which I'm still fascinated about, even though, you know, the mm-hmm. project's over, I still want to know more about him because, yeah, it's just you really get to know someone to an extent and you get to love them and, and, and you, have to, you, you, have to, you have to get under the skin of them to see why they did what they did and, and to empathise with them. So... When it's all over, there's still there's still a part of that character with you a little bit, you know. Mm. So, see, so yeah, I love all that. I love just you know finding and and that was a new story for me. I'd never heard about their divorce case and how obviously, yeah, she was a trailblazer for a woman who was um, bullied basically, but mm. refused to back down, refused to apologise for having sex with people, and even though she was deemed you know useless and all this stuff throughout her life and and a, and a slut and, and whatever. She survived and and never and protected the identity of the man in the photo, mm-hmm. protected Peter's identity um, in court because he was being accused of having of them having an affair, but they didn't. Because um, at the time, you know, he this isn't I guess salacious to say so. He was at that point seeing men, and in the fifties, it was obviously illegal for that to to be happening. And so she, she could have never revealed that in court because then he would have been sent to prison. Mm. So. She was, yeah, a legend. And so it just really kind of opened my eyes to someone like that at that time, which would, I don't know, it was like a, it was like a modern day survival story. But Do you think know, it was important for this story to be heard now? Because for, if it was created for screen perhaps a few decades ago, it would have still been viewed through the lens that it was back then when it was in the papers. Do you think, you know, there are yeah, things that we can I, learn from uh, it now? I, I, think, I think it's important now because... You know, like, like thankfully, which is about time, there's a lot more female directors out there now, and and, and female writers. And I think, it, which I don't know, say if it was uh, ten years ago, it maybe wouldn't have been the same. And it's so important for the story to, yeah, be directed by a woman and to and to have, be written or like you know she she wrote she was written um, by a woman and and that I think is important if you're telling a story like this about female survival and so it might not have had the same impact if it was written by 
a man directed by a man and it would have been skewed slightly in it and yeah I don't know like, it'd be interesting like who's, who's to say who's to say it, I think it would still be impactful like I think people would be, would be shocked and you know like disgusted and, 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 and yeah just really I think it would have still moved people as to as to how that kind of thing went on but yeah I think now more than ever like because it's we're seeing such a change in, in everything in terms of, yeah, the pendulum swinging and now everyone's getting a look in and it's, it's, it's amazing and thank God because it's about bloody time. Mm. Um, so yeah, I guess, I guess it's, it's, it's happening now for a reason. Mm. I think you're right, yeah. What, tell me a bit about what it was like actually making the series. I mean, beyond being kind of really thought-provoking in terms of the themes and, and bits mm. that we've discussed, I mean, it must have been great fun. It's Aesthetically, it's so beautiful. The costumes are absolutely amazing. It must have been such a delight to just get yourself into that world. Yeah, it was. It was, um, I mean, it was, it was quite mad, I think, the time that we shot it in summer last year so it was like kind of April, May end of April when we met um, and so it was really hot for one like I was we were all in these big like I was in a, I think the whole time I was basically in a dinner suit <laughs> of, maybe, one or, maybe one or two scenes but I still had like jumpers and all the stuff so you're sort of fanning yourself be. between scenes <laughs> honestly and I'm a really sweaty person like <laughs> I, I, I hot very easily so I was just constantly sweating and like the, the makeup person was constantly putting like powder on me and I was just I'm so sorry like tissues um but yeah aside from the sweatiness yeah it was amazing it was amazing and the the crew the cast and the crew were all you know really brilliant and so so great to do something with the BBC I've done a, I've done a few bits of BBC uh like a few little TV jobs but to do something like this yeah it was great you know in, in London in my in where I consider my second home so I felt really comfortable because a lot of times you go away to shoot stuff, you know, like that the film that I did um, for Netflix, I shot in, in um, South Africa, which was amazing. But I was there for three months in a, in a COVID bubble with a crew of 80, you know, 80 strangers. And you go back to your hotel room and it's, it's lovely, but there's something, there's something really special about being able to film something and then just go home, you know, go home to your home. Mm-hmm. And they get picked up from your home, and I don't know. It's like you just feel like, oh, this is this is you know, this is my job, and I don't I don't have to kind of leave everything behind in order to do it. I can just have my normal life and go back to my housemate and see my cat, and then and uh, and also yeah, just be like, oh, this is a real British show, mm. and in, in to that extent, and that was something to be proud of, you know. And I was yeah proud to be in it, and yeah. The costumes, people were great and, and made us look amazing. I did the hair and makeup and Annie, who directed us, was really fun. She was just like very loose and free and would just kind of let me and, and Claire and a lot of us, I assume, do our thing really. And, and she'd come in with kind of questions and be like, what do you think? And should we try it? And and stuff like that rather than, you know, there's no, there's no one way to direct, but in my experience... I've heard directors that are like, this is how we're doing this scene, mm. so let's do it like this. And, which sometimes I like, because I just do like getting told what to do sometimes, because it just takes the weight off, you know? In this job, you have so many kind of plates to spin in the air and think about. So it's it's nice when someone says, this is how we're doing it. And you're like, cool, okay, I can do that. <laughs> but in this, well, in this instance, there was so much of their relationship that I think you couldn't really even write it was just the way that they were together and their mm. chemistry and, and the way that they just could sit in silence with each other and just know that they were both 
you know, could ha- could hold each other. Mm. And it was just like, like the scene, I think I remember when, I, when I left the scene and I said this, but I said, I love you. When I left, leave on the steps, initially they're like, oh, would you say that in the, in the kind of 50s as a man out loud? And I was like, no, I think he would. And I had to fight, I was just, even as a silly little thing about four, I was like, no, I think he would. And that just came out of improvisation mm. because we just had this moment together where, you know, we had, a, we had just, I don't know, been, you don't see that scene, but we were in her room chatting about everything and talking about the divorce and how she was feeling. And, you know, she was paranoid about people listening to her conversations and about her husband hiring, hiring a private detective and all these things. And she felt very alone in it. And she confided in me and, and I wanted to let her know that, you know, she's not alone in this. Mm. Um, so, yeah, stuff like that where Annie just let us say things and do things. And that was really freeing mm. and um, a really nice um, space to be in, especially with someone like Claire, because Claire's amazing. You know, what was it like working with her? I mean, did you have a lot of fun together? Obviously, there are obviously yeah. uh, quite serious scenes between you, but <laughs> there must yeah, have been fun we as well. Fun. <laughs> we had a lot of fun. It was quite difficult for me actually coming in Originally, his character was also in the, in the first episode, um, but they were coming up with some writing issues. A lot's changed. Oh, scripts change often very frequently and very last minute in this job. And you have to just accept it. And you know, you may learn your lines and know your, know your stuff, and then go there, and then it's completely rug from under the feet. We're starting again. You just got to accept it. Sometimes you can fight for the material, but a lot of times it's like, no, we've changed this because this doesn't make sense, and this person isn't here, or. So, yeah, I wasn't in the, in the first episode, so it meant that I came in like a, a month later and they'd all filmed up in Scotland and she was really pally with, with Paul, um, who obviously played her husband, and, and then obviously they have a really tight relationship anyway because they're in scenes all together. And my first scene that I filmed was the court scene. So oh. that was the first one I filmed. So I went in <laughs> at the end, basically, and I had to just basically forge this relationship with someone across the room and pretend like that's you know that's my best friend that's my best friend I care about her so much I love her I'm here for her I'll defend her to the death even though I've literally just walked in this room and met her five seconds ago that must and be so jarring to... starting at the end <laughs> literally I was so like oh are we doing it this one today like, yeah I was like okay like you know first day at school think about that like first day at school you go in you know a hundred strangers your, your co-star, just me, and you're up on stage doing a delivery in front of all these people. Yeah, it was actually quite um, quite nerve-wracking. Um, but then after that, we uh, yeah, we really we really got on, and and Paul left quite early on after they filmed their scenes, and so it was nice because we had a lot of time to bond and and to kind of just hang out as us rather than squeezing in these little scenes and then off she goes to the next one we could have time to like really get to know each other and she's actually she's um, a mutual friend with one of my best friends she filmed uh, the, my friend uh, played Margaret in the first seasons of The Crown that she was in oh. <laughs> and so uh, we actually had that in common you know so it was nice to be like oh yeah you know my friend knew and yeah so that was nice but yeah we got on so well and so it made all those scenes so easy you know, and that's not often you get that you don't often you know that's a gift really where, where in your job you get on with a person and you love the person that you're playing opposite that you're meant to love and get on with mm. sometimes you don't and that's just acting you know 
but yeah, it's, it's it's a real gift when you're able to relax into it and be like, oh, okay, a lot of the work's done for me. Yeah. <laughs> and that, you mentioned it a little bit earlier in relation to sort of filming in South Africa, but I mean, as an actor, how have you found the pandemic? I mean, how has it affected your work and, and how did you approach it for this series as well? Yeah, um, it was, it affected it. Well, it was strange because when that happened, well, that, yeah, I guess we got, when was that, end of March? I was meant to be going to South Africa to film this film after Life of the, of the Party. I literally just got it, it was February, and I was like, oh, amazing, because, you know, you start your year off in in this game, and you're like, was that my last job? Am I ever going to work again? Do you know what I mean? You're going into... Oh, look, I'm doing something for Netflix now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, do you know what I mean? So I was like, oh, I guess I'm never going to work again, and then I get a Netflix job, and I'm like, oh, we're going to make it. Great, 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 great. This is going to be so fun. And then the next month, oh, it's cancelled because the world's shut down. And I was like, oh, my God, are you kidding me? I was like, this? I was like, I, can't, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then, um, and luckily, they were like, no, we are going to make this film happen because it'd been like, I think, two years in the making. They've gone through so much, um, a big journey with that film, trying to get it made. And uh, they were like, no, we are going to make this film made. And so they let us know, I think, when was it, May? They're like, I think we're going to do it in August. So I was kind of, okay. So I had everything ready for August. Like, no, 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 I think we're going to do it, you know, we're going to do it in um, October. And I was like, okay. Like, no, 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 we're going to go to September. I was like, wow, right, okay. And then, yeah, we just ended up going out there, filming it, and they had, you know, all the precautions. We were all, everyone else was in PPE. And we had COVID tests every day, everyone wore masks, and we were just living in this bubble um, in South Africa basically on, on this in this amazing hotel called Spear Hotel which is basically a wine farm <laughs> and we could just hang out in this it was quite weird being in a hotel that was deserted apart from the crew I remember and we had to self-isolate for 10 days in, in our hotel room um, so when we left it was a bit like The Shining you know The Shining <laughs> yeah. like walking through this kind of massive you didn't see any trends did you? <laughs> no but I mean yeah it was very strange so yeah it was a weird it was a weird time but um, but also a great time met some amazing people and um, and yes yeah, so, so now the same happens with with um, with this so with, when I started um, Scandal just I think I think because everyone's in the lockdown it means that people need more content as so the demand more than ever for like you know art and 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 TV and film and is, is, is bigger than ever and so that's why Netflix is you know churning out so much stuff and so is Amazon and Hulu and you know other streaming services it's like people want to want to watch stuff because they now can't go to theatre or mm. you know even just go out and see their friends they want entertainment so luckily luckily it's actually meant that I've actually been busier than I ever was I think prior to to, to the pandemic so yeah, every cloud really. Absolutely. And tell us what what are you up to at the moment? What are you working on next? If you're allowed to. Um, <laughs> at the moment, I mean, I'm just auditioning really. So I just went in for a play at the Lyric um, yesterday, which could be good. It's like an, it's based on set in 2022, and it's about mm. it's about like post pandemic life, and it's like a uh, but in like a funny way. It's like a restoration comedy, so it's. So to read it, it was almost like reading you know, Twelfth Night. It was all kind of like comedy, comedy of errors situation. And there's like a, kind of a Katie Hopkins-esque character and like an Alan Sugar-esque character. And it's all about these 
it's all about these three Gen Z um, housemates that live in London, in East London, and about them and their lives and post-pandemic. So that could be interesting. Um, and yeah, then like it's, and then an audition for a, an Amazon film. So it's just yeah, on to the next one really, and hopefully something sticks. But um, but yeah, it's looking it's looking busy. So I just got to keep keep fingers crossed and, and keep the faith because sometimes yeah, you can just be like oh. Maybe that's it now because it's so. This this business is so um, ephemeral. You know, it's just you, you don't know when it's going to come back around. If it will come back around, so you just got to stay on your feet and kind of hopeful and, and grateful and yeah, and just trust that it will. And just uh, sort of uh, lastly, just to reflect a bit on kind of uh, Jersey. You know, how much uh, do you keep in touch with the island? And, you know, what would your advice be as well to those who are kind of uh, looking to get into acting? Because obviously a lot of people might think that being from the island, a smaller place with kind of less, I suppose, connections to to big productions and big events might be a barrier. So what would you kind of say to that? Yeah, I mean, I think not at all. I think, think if anything, use it to your advantage. Like, there is so much going on. When I was a kid, I remember, you know, I went to so many like plays and shows and like did the Isteadford like the Isteadford was an amazing learning curve for me like that's I remember doing solo um, the solo monologue the, yeah monologue stuff and I was just like this is an amazing thing that Jersey can have where you can compete in kids to your own age and, and get awarded prizes for just choosing a nice bit of text and, and reading on stage like that's an amazing um, yeah experience so I would definitely use stuff like that in the JDC and and do as many plays at school and and just get I think I said this on a, on, a, on the radio I was like just stay curious something about wanting to just be open to everything and 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 I think yeah just stay curious and be like oh I want to try that out and you can you could do stuff with your mates you can put on plays with your friends and invite people to it like you don't need to wait for someone to invite you to an audition you know and that goes that's on that's i guess something that you can take through you for the rest of your life that's you know i i've started to write stuff because i'm like actually i want to do something format for me and if i if i want to do that i can just write it myself i'm writing it with a friend and you know hopefully we'll be able to pitch it and then get that made and then cast our friends or cast mm. whoever we want in it because it's our it's our baby mm. so i would encourage people yeah to stay curious to just do whilst they're on the island to do what they do what they want and, and use it as a kind of as a as a training ground you know it's um it's not a bad thing that you're on this island because there's so many resources that you can use like you can do site-specific theater in these amazing dolmens you know you can you can use the howard davis theater at Vic. It's, it's a it's a it's a small theater but you can really pack it and make it something really really you know really brilliant um and then also yeah i guess just you've got to really want to want to do it so if you know if you get to you know that time 16 17 18 you're like oh i really want to be an actor that's enough to you've got to follow that passion and follow that have that drive to be like right okay i'm gonna make it work and that can look like so many things it doesn't mean you have to go to drama school you know i didn't you know it doesn't mean you i don't have to have an amazing agent doesn't mean you, like now more than ever people are coming into this in so many different routes you know if you watch this is england you know that was one of my favorite films growing up um that those kids were just 
and, and an adult, young, young adults, were cast from, from the street in Nottingham, you know, or from small little drama groups in Nottingham. And stuff like that is happening now more than ever. So, you know, you shouldn't look at it as a, it can be so daunting. And I remember being so overwhelmed. And I didn't really know much about drama school when I was at Vic. And I don't think our careers teacher really encouraged us to go to drama school. So I wasn't really aware of it, which is kind of good because it meant I went to university and, and just met my friends, all my friends now. And we ended up creating theatre at Exeter and did site specific theatre and stuff like that you know, in amazing locations that I wouldn't have had the opportunity to if I went to drama school. So, yeah, just know that there's not one route to do. So, no, so you don't have to, don't have to go to be, you know, go and do training if you don't want to. But then also do if you want to. Like, don't be, don't be scared. Just stay curious and stay open. And there's no, and, and always relate back to that drive. Like, be like, why do I want to do this? Why do I want to do this? Because there's going to be so many times you know, and luck, and if you're not, if not, you're lucky. But there, there will be a lot of luck, a lot of setbacks where you'll be like, "Oh, do I really want to do this?" Because you know, this is my, I don't know, fifth no that I've had from a drama school or from a casting director or from an agent that I'm writing to, or you know, whoever. So you really have to have a bit of a thick skin, which, like I say, but I, I still don't have, and you know, I've been doing it for so many years. You've got to just really just, I guess, ignore, try and ignore setbacks and just always relate back to why you wanted to do it and and to know that yeah it's um it's okay to want to do something like this because you know it's, it's also hard saying it out loud when i was younger and someone's like what do you want to do and i was like i thought i was like i think i want to be an actor but i just had some kind of shame about saying it <laughs> I think, well, maybe that's not a thing now but i don't know I was like, well as you say like, if, you as well if the careers advisor isn't really like backing it as an opportunity as well then uh, it's kind of yeah you know what i mean and it was like I just I just remember a lot of people be like, you "Sure, you want to do that? Like, good luck. Like, <laughs> what? How are, you, how are you gonna live? You know, all that stuff." So, I think yeah, take away the shame from it. Be proud of it, and just and the more you say it to yourself, the more you believe it. It will happen. You just have to, yeah, just ignore the haters and have the drive. A big thank you to Tim for taking the time to speak to us. We wish him all the best with his future projects. You can find all the latest news about the island's arts and culture scene on bailiwickexpress.com. If you've enjoyed listening, please like and share it with friends, family, colleagues and any other aspiring actors and performers you might know. The title track was I Shift My Weight by Luno. Join us next week on the Bailiwick podcast for more from me, Fiona Potany, and the Bailiwick Express team.